So uh, we're picking up uh, where we left off last week. Jesus is having this confrontation with the Pharisees. Real quickly, the Pharisees are the Jewish leaders that have already declared that Jesus is not the Messiah and that he's doing miracles based upon the spirit of Beelzebub, which is the devil. So they've blasphemed the spirit. He has now said, okay, because you've blasphemed the spirit, you're not going to hear this message anymore. But we do know from reading the word that there are some Jews and even a Pharisee that comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So even though they've been cut off from hearing the message, there are still some that come to know Jesus, which is obviously a good thing. And so now we're in this confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees. It's kind of like if you say something on Facebook that has an opinion attached to it, you're going to get all sorts of opposition following that. And it could lead into a lot of comments. You know what I'm talking about? That's why I hardly ever put opinions on Facebook anymore because I just don't want to deal with it. And so uh, Jesus is now dealing with the Pharisees. He's just, he's just been confronted with, they tried to challenge him, tried to trick him when they brought this woman who had, uh, been co- had committed adultery. They brought her before him and said, look, you know, you're supposed to like stone her. And he basically ended up saying, is there anybody here that can cast the first stone? That being the person that who hasn't done the same sin. Anybody that hasn't done the same sin as this woman, go ahead and cast the first stone. And they all dropped their stones and walked away. Which is pretty telling about the life of a Pharisee. That even though they know the law very well, they don't necessarily obey the law. And so now this confrontation continues. And we're in John chapter 8, verse 12. It says... Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, remember, I've said two weeks ago that at the Feast of the Tabernacles, a couple of things happened. There was uh, the water that was taken from the Pool of Siloam and poured over the altar. We talked about that last week. But then also the lampstand that was inside the temple inside the, not the holy of holies, but the holy place was lit. And this symbolized for the Jewish culture, for the Jewish heritage, that when God provided this pillar of fire and they were in the wilderness, it's what led them out of the wilderness. They followed this pillar of fire. So they would light this lampstand to remind them about this great exodus from Egyptian captivity. And so now Jesus has jumped on the back of this festival of booths, festival of tabernacles, and said, I am the light of the world. I am. I'm that person. Now, uh, I have to show you something. Uh, I carry this with me in my pocket. This is a quarter. I think I've carried for... uh, I think almost four years. Same quarter. 
You know how long, how hard it is to hang on to one quarter for four years? Uh, when I was at the Tyner's house on a Wednesday night, my friend Bubba Street was there and we were talking about coin collecting and I said, I got all the state coins except for one. And it was a Montana D quarter. And that Wednesday night, Bubba brought me three Montana D quarters to finish my collection. And the next day, Bubba passed. And so I keep this quarter with me just because I love the man that used to sit like right here every Sunday morning. He's a big man, and he sat right here on the front row, and he was like one of my greatest encouragers. In fact, the truth of the matter is, he was one of everybody's greatest encouragers. He was truly a deacon of this group right here. He did more hospital visits than I did. Bubba uh, is a great friend, and I miss him dearly, and uh, I'll be with him shortly. But I bring this out because uh, I wear shorts a lot, a lot of pockets, everything else, and I'm constantly losing this quarter. It's almost like Bubba's haunting me. <laughs> but uh, I sit in my couch, and if you've been over my house, you know exactly where I sit in that couch. And it's a recliner, and occasionally I lose that quarter. It falls out of my pocket and falls down in the recliner, and I have to pop that thing open, get down on the ground, and crawl underneath the recliner. And then guess what I do? I turn on my little flashlight and I'm like looking for this quarter in the seat. You see, because if I just crawl under there in pure darkness, I'm not going to see a thing. But the light allows me to see and it really guides my direction. It guides my path. The light makes the darkness go away and Jesus says look I am the light of the world if you want light look right here at me and then I think about where we were this week obviously uh, we dealt with a pretty horrific event in Vegas And I know this, uh, the next day when everybody was waking up and the sun rose and it shined on that whole area, it revealed wickedness. It revealed pure evil. The light called out the evil. And I know this, when I think about that, For every one act of evil, there are multiple acts of grace. And in the midst of one person choosing to do an evil act, my God is alive and well and has done some great things this week in light of the disaster that's occurred. There's some great stories that have come. There's some great lives that have been changed forever. And I would say you can have the, you can have the argument 
we can have the argument, you know, people will say, why did God allow this to happen? Well, you're, you're, you're chasing a rabbit there because, uh, first of all, God didn't do that. That was just pure evil. The evil one did that. And my God is, is working in the midst of the consequences of one person's choice. I know he is. I know he's with those families. And uh, I wish I could answer uh, all your questions about why, but we'd be here all day. I can. If you want to hang with me, I can. Because I know uh, what I believe in the word. But I do believe that God is alive and well. I'll move on from that. In verse 13, it says, So the Pharisees said to him, You're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Now watch this, because this is interesting. He says in the following verse, Even if I test about, testify about myself, my testimony is true. Because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Again, this, this is a parable. This is a parable because they don't understand what he's saying. They're literally looking at him like, are you whacked? What are you talking about? Are you going to like end your life? Well, what, is the, what are you even saying here? He says, you judge by human standards, I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And then he uses their own law against them. He says, even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. It's true. If you go back to Deuteronomy 17.6, Deuteronomy 19.15, or Numbers 35.30, it says to convict anybody of a crime, you have to have two witnesses. So he's sitting there testifying about himself, giving his testimony of who he is, and they go, you're, you're not even able to testify because there's only one of you. And he's like, no, 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 that's not true. There's two. I've already had one other testify about myself, and that would be the father. Remember, remember what happened when Jesus was baptized, right? Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and there was an audible voice that says, this is my son, who, in whom I am well pleased. So the father's already testified that this is his son, and he's saying to himself, there's two people saying that Jesus is the son of God, and these Pharisees are like going, nope, that doesn't qualify. Verse 19, it says, then they asked him, where's your father? Like, Surely he's around here. If you're saying all this about your father testifying, where's your father? And Jesus replies, you know neither me nor my father. Because remember, he's already said, if you know me, then you know my father. And he's like looking at these Pharisees saying, you don't know me. Therefore, you don't even know my father. And again, like I said last week, when you say, 
when you say you don't know God to the Jews, this is like a huge, huge crime against them. Because they've lived their whole life trying to understand who God is. He says, if you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple. So now he's like totally instigated these Pharisees and he's he's got them all fired up. But watch what it says. But no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Remember last week, he just kind of like poof, disappeared. It's kind of the same thing here. Nobody seized him. Nobody's going to touch him because we know that this is the end of the tabernacle, the feast of the tabernacles. Yet Jesus, if he's going to die, it has to be at the Passover. And the Passover is like six months away, so it's not time for him to die. So he gets away. Then verse 21, the argument continues. Then he said, to, it's almost like he's picking the fight. Then he said to them again, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. This is, he's literally giving them riddles. They can't see this for the world. They don't understand what he's saying. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They literally have no clue what Jesus is talking about. He told them, you're from below. That's pretty harsh, right? Like, you're from Hades. In fact, you go into you go into it. He's not only saying you're not only from Hades, but you're from the hell side of Hades. He says, "I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins." And again, they ask him the question, who are you? Who are you? They, they literally are wasting their opportunities by arguing with Jesus rather than just trusting him. Hello, did you hear that? <laughs> you want to argue maybe about theology, maybe about who God is and the whole time you're missing the whole boat just simply because you won't trust him this is exactly what he said to the Pharisees he's like exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning I have many things to say and to judge about you but the one who sent me is true and what I've heard from him these things I tell the world very clearly it says they did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. Remember, they are blinded from hearing the truth because they've already committed blasphemy. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The One who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. And as he was saying these things, oh, wait. It says many believed in him. As he was saying these things, 
some of these Jews began to believe in him. Could he really be the Messiah? That's pretty awesome. Right in his very midst, in his teaching, some began to see. Now I'm going to jump. I'm going to skip a few verses because I want to come back to them. I'm going to jump to verse 37 and continue this argument. It'll be all right. He says in verse 37, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. So then you do what you have heard from your father. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. Capital F. Father being who? God. So then you do what you have heard from your father. No capital there. What father are they talking about? Yeah, Satan. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees are of the devil. Again, they don't have a clue what he's saying. They really don't understand what he's saying. And all of a sudden they say, our father's Abraham. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. You're doing what the evil one does. And that is going against God. That's pretty harsh. But again, what do they get? They don't get it at all. And they say, we weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one Father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. Because I came from God, and I'm here. Now, if they don't believe that he's the Messiah, their blood is boiling. He says, for I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Clearly, he knows why they don't understand what he's saying. Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He's literally calling them the evil ones now. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? What have I done? Have I broken any laws? Any of my father's laws? Who here can point something out that I've done? He says, if I'm telling the truth... Why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen, because you're not from God. You know, they're not going to understand. He's sitting there giving them spiritual advice, spiritual context, and they're not going to get it. Literally, 
when I post something spiritual, some kind of like something the Lord's speaking to me, or you know where I usually do that. I don't usually do it on Twitter. And if I do it on Facebook, I usually do it inside the Leavener group. This group. Because I'm hoping and assuming you're going to understand what I'm talking about. If I just put it out there on my normal Facebook page, they're not going to understand it. A few will, but most of them won't. Verse 48, it says, The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> They're pulling out everything that they can. The Samaritan's considered half-breed. You know, come on. And Jesus says, I do not have a demon. I'd love to know how he said that. What emphasis did... You guys, come on. Really? I don't have a demon. Or he's looking at him saying... I don't have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. We know everybody dies. And you're sitting here saying, if we follow you, that you're not going to die. Now we know you're from the evil one. Abraham who died and the prophets died. Who do you claim to be? Once again, Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My father about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Again, this is a parable. He's like saying to them, explaining, but they don't get it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. (laughs) The Jews replied, wait, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? They're really clueless. This this is like a great movie scene. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Ooh! (laughs) That was worse than Cam Newton. Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Poof, got out, wasn't his time. Jesus comes in, bat, 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 see, I'm out. That's what it was like, right? Literally, you guys aren't getting this thing, hello? I'm really one of you. You just got to figure this thing out. Let me take you back. Verse 31. Because I think these are uh, some of the most critical passages in that, that text right there. 
And I kind of want to end on it. It says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Remember, in verse 30 it said, Many believed him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, these are to the people that are believing that Jesus is the Messiah. If you continue in my word, you're really my disciples. You're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, let me break that down for you. A disciple is a person who really abides in God's word. That's a disciple. And in the places that I grew up, and even the seminary that I went to, they would take that passage of Scripture right there, and they would make it law. They would say, if you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to get into the Word, you've got to study the Word, you've got to know the Word, you've got to do the Word. And they would make it, make you feel, memorize the Word, they would make you feel guilty if you didn't do the word. Look, I'm telling you right here, you don't have to read your Bible. Matt, you don't have to read your Bible, right? What happens? You get to read your Bible. That's the whole, that's, that's the whole difference right there, people, between legalism and grace. Legalism says you have to read your Bible. Grace says you get to read your Bible. There, there is real beauty in that right there. If I can get up here on a Sunday morning and paint a picture about who my Savior is, who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, that causes enough for the Spirit to move inside of you to pick this thing up and read it, man, I'm excited. That's not my job. That's the Spirit's job to do it in you. It's the Spirit's job to, to speak through me to paint this picture for you that causes you to pick up the word of God and to be able to get to read it, not to have to read it. And then here's what, ha- here's what happens about this whole thing is you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many believers are going to develop their understanding of Jesus at an early age, Right? Like you, you've grown up in church, you've heard about Jesus, and you've heard the stories and all the miracles that he's done. And you may even come to a point of hearing, hearing this message right here and understanding about your identity in Jesus. Which is like, to me, that was another step for me. Not only did I know the stories of Jesus, but when I came to understand my true identity in Christ, it all changed for me. But I would say this, even if you come to know your identity in Christ, few will actually become students of the word. And really get to know the Father. How, how I wish I could just give you a, an injection and say, oh, get that desire, have that desire to know the Father. And then the whole thought process from there is you have your, your concept of who Jesus is and then... Uh, you might even say, uh, I understand my identity in Christ. And eventually this passage right here of freedom comes attached to your behavior rather than your identity. 
If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He's not saying, he's not saying this is about your behavior. He's saying this is about your life. This is about what you know. Some of you will take this passage and you'll go, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. You know what? That's absolutely true. I'm not arguing with you. But the question is, are you doing what is in your flesh? Or are you doing as what the Spirit leads you to do? Your flesh is going to be focused on your behavior. The Spirit is going to be focused on the things of God. I'm just saying, know the Father. Know His Word. You get to know His Word. Just don't forget the first part of that verse if you're talking about freedom. It says, if you continue in my word. If you continue in my word, you're going to be free. And I totally believe it. I totally believe it. Continue in his word. Continue to know him. And you'll find yourself more free every day. I am free in Christ. Which leads me to be free in my behavior because it's him doing it in me. That's the deal. Verse 33, it says, We are descendants of Abraham. They answered him, We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Are you kidding me? We've never been enslaved to anybody. Oh, you were enslaved by the Egyptians. You were enslaved by the Babylonians. You're enslaved right now by the Romans. Are you kidding me? Do you guys not see this thing? You've been enslaved for a long time. Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Now we can really understand what this freedom is that Jesus is talking about. How many of you have... Don't raise your hand. How many of you have or are dealing with an addiction or a sin issue? Don't raise your hand. But that's a serious question. You've dealt with an addiction. You're dealing with an addiction. You've dealt with sin. You're dealing with sin. How many of you have actually tried to overcome this issue in your own strength? I'm assuming this is most of the room. How'd that work for you? That's, that's really what we call legalism right there. God's word says do this. So make sure you live accordingly. The freedom Jesus is referring to is in conjunction of being enslaved to sin. What he's saying here is this. Trust Jesus. It's really the only way you're going to be free. 
you can focus on overcoming the addiction, focus on overcoming the sin yourself, and it's probably only causing you to do the same thing over and over and over again. But when you truly trust Jesus, He'll set you free. How do you get free of this? It says the Son sets you free. Who does this? The Son, Jesus. He's the one that sets you free. Not you. You've tried. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that Jesus is the only one that's going to deal with our issue. And therefore, I have to trust him. Here's how I want to uh, close today. I do it a little different. In a moment, I'm going to ask those that are led to, men and women, to stand up that feel confident in praying for others around them. And you know who you are. I don't need to point you out. But I'm asking for those that, uh, and I get it. Don't be humble and just sit there. But I need leadership to stand up and uh, pray for some of our people. We're going to play a little music, play us out. And uh, if you're struggling, I just want you to go ask for these people to pray for you. It's pretty simple. If you're... uh, willing to pray for others. Will you stand up real quick? Just stand up where you are. Alright, they're standing. If oh, oh, wait a second. Stay right there. They're standing. If you need somebody to pray for you, look around the room right now and see who it is. And I'm going to ask everybody to stand and we'll turn the music up and uh, you can walk to them right now. So everybody else stand up. Everybody else stand up. And if you need somebody to pray for you, you move right now and go to them right now. Lord, I trust you with my friends. I trust you uh, with your word that you truly want to see us set free. Now we can be free in you and just um, really live our life in freedom even in the midst of the junk that's going on, the evil that's going on, that we can walk trusting you with a smile on our face in the midst of sorrow and grief, that the joy inside of us will will overcome this world, that we actually be the light that you've intended us to be. And so I trust you with my friends today, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.